pray that the words that I bring would draw each and every one of us just a little closer to God today and that the Holy Spirit would work afresh in each and every one of us and I pray especially that the Holy Spirit would take these words that I bring and enlarge them, Lord, to be spiritual food to your people. And I pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Again, I guess I already said good morning to you, but I don't usually greet you. Um, and once again, it is great to be with you. Um, and it was great to be with many of you on Christmas Eve. And we had a blessed Christmas Eve service. And, and I guess I'll just say my thanks publicly to the, to the worship team, the readers, everybody involved. I think for me, it was the... It was my favorite of, I don't know if this is the seventh or the eighth Christmas service that I've celebrated with the people of St. David's, and it was just a, a real blessing to me. And on Christmas and Christmas Eve, and, and I hope that, that, those days were, that those two days were blessings to all of you, because it's when we remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus. And this being the first Sunday of Christmas, we continue to do that, but we move you know, away from the Gospels of Matthew and Luke that are the, um, the, the other Christmas readings. And uh, the first Sunday after Christmas is always the first chapter of John. Um, and I've seen this passage before, and you've heard me preach on this passage at least one other time, because usually Father Jose takes vacation um, uh, after Christmas, and a well-deserved one, because the Christmas time is, a, is busy uh, for a priest. Who is leading, who's leading a church. And it's great that we come back to John every year because these 18 verses are as powerful and meaty theologically and spiritually as any 18 verses we have in the Bible. And these 18 verses are John's introduction to his whole 21, I think I got it right, 21 chapter gospel. And he really, he kind of, he, he sums up so much. And he gives us in these 18 verses a lot of meat that was used to put together parts of the Nicene Creed um, that we recite and will speak after um, this service. And as that beautiful song that Darlene, you know, spoke about, um, you know, it, it, it definitely speaks a lot about this passage. And, you know, it begins in the beginning, like in the first chapter of Genesis. John also starts with the words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word, that's his first description that he uses of Jesus Christ, and he's saying the Word was God. But the Word was with God was another person of the Godhead that we know as the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then he moves on to call Jesus the light. And he's the true light, the light that shines in the darkness. And it's the light, and then he goes on and says the only Son of God. And then it's not until, chapter, until verse 17 that he calls the Word and the light... Jesus Christ. So 
I may go back and forth between some of those words, but I'm always speaking um, about Jesus. And there's so much in these 18 verses, and I'm only going to be able to scratch the surface. And, and I may disappoint some, but there's just, just so much there. And it would take me, I would need to preach sermons every Sunday, at least till Lent, to even begin to do justice to what's here. But I am not the rector of this church, and, and at least according to the schedule, Father Jose will be back and in the pulpit at least one or two Sundays before Lent. So I'm not going to get the opportunity to do that. So I'm going to have to take care of it all today. <laughs> so everybody, let's put the gates up on the pews. We're going to be here for the next four or five hours. <laughs> so, and let's see. Good. Nobody called me on that because I'm not really sure I could preach for anywhere near that long. But you know, I, I do have Reverend Tony, and maybe I could send a text to Father Charles to, to bring him back for, you know, to finish things off. But seriously, no, I'm not going to do that, because uh, you all know I am a football fan, so. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes. But now let us get back to, uh, to Scripture, so. I did that at the 8 o'clock. No, I didn't do that at the 8 o'clock service, and it, nobody would have laughed. So, um, <laughs> Okay, so let's get back to the scriptures. And, and I'm going to give just, a, just do a little kind of walk through, you know, my highlights, my summary of this scripture. I guess maybe I'll be better off using the Bible I've marked up a little bit as opposed to that one fresh. And I want to start out in the first two verses. As we said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right there, John is talking about this Word, Jesus Christ, is God. But he's distinct from God in certain ways, but he is God and shares God's divine attributes, even though he is a distinct person in our Holy Trinity that is God. And then he repeats that beginning again in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. And as we move into verse 3, he created all things. Or all things were created through him. So, you know, we got on, on Christmas, we got this nice, you know, Jesus in the town of uh, Bethlehem laid in a manger. Jesus was born. But Jesus didn't just show up on the scene in that manger or actually in Mary's womb nine months earlier. He was around since the beginning with God. And John tells us that. And he said, Whatever, what, all things that came into being, um, or that without him, not one thing came into being. So he was intricately involved in that creation that God his Father brought about when he created the heavens and the earth. And when we go back to Genesis chapter 1, you know, in addition to, you know, when it starts off in the beginning, when God created the, created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. So there was darkness at the beginning. 
And then in verse 3, the first thing that God created, he said, let there be light, and there was light. And God, God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and that was the first day. So John then now shifts over into verse 4. What has come into being in him was life, in the word, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of all people. So Jesus was the, the thing that gave life to people. And also, in verse 5, this light shines in the darkness, just like back when God created the heavens and the earth, the actual physical light brightened what was a dark world. In the spiritual world, there is great darkness, and Jesus Christ gives light to that spiritual, to our spiritual world. And then, that darkness is still around, but John says the darkness did not overcome the light that shines in the darkness. And I think what John is referring to here specifically is the cross that Jesus died on. That while to human eyes and certainly these religious, Jewish religious leaders who rejected Jesus and did, did not believe that he was the Son of God and had him crucified by the Romans, well, that was a dark moment to the human eye. That darkness, that crucifying Jesus did not overcome his light. His light still shines, and actually God used, as we know, God used Jesus' death on the cross to redeem humanity from our sins, and to give us, to make available salvation to all who believed. So that light far outshone the darkness and the despair in the disciples and Jesus' mother and all the people close to Jesus at the time. And it's what God used to, to create Christianity in the body of Christ, you know, as we know. And then we've got a little interlude, and there's this John the Baptist, one of the great men of the scriptures, but that's all that he was, and he even says it. I'm not the light. I'm not the Messiah to come. My job is to point out that light, and it's this man, Jesus Christ, and, and my job is to testify and bear witness to that light so that people would believe that Jesus was the Messiah, Son of God. And then one of the important, well, there, there are so many important verses, but one I that, that want to really emphasize is verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. So up to this point, you know, we're hearing about God, we're hearing uh, about the Word, who was God, and this light that shines in the darkness. But now, he was coming into the world. And if we look ahead to verse 14, John says, The Word became flesh and lived among us. 
So God is, of course, in the world. The world, word is in the world. But now, Jesus, the man, God and man, is coming into the world to enlighten everyone. And so, Jesus, being Jewish, comes to the Jewish people, to people who worship the Yahweh, the Lord of the Old Testament. But John tells us that he comes and they don't recognize him, they don't even know him. And he says he came to his own and his own people did not accept him. But that wasn't the end of the story because there were people who received Jesus as the Son of God and believed in his name and believed that he was the Messiah, Son of God. And to those people, he gave the power to become children of God. And when you're a child, you belong to a family. And in this case, you know, physically, you know, certainly we have, we're born, and then by our birth we have natural mother and father and sisters and brothers. And also we probably could have people that we may adopt into the family, whether by formal adoption, where children that uh, for whatever reason don't have a mother and father legally become part of a family. But we also, there are cases where we've got friends um, who we kind of consider part of our family. And in this case, everyone, he's, once again, it's the true light enlightens everyone. So this is available to everyone, but those who take it, God does the work, God draws us in, but for those who act upon that gift that God gives and believe in him and receive and accept Jesus Christ, he gives them, he calls them, you know, his children. And that's a God thing, and it's a thing that God does. And it's done because Jesus Christ came as a man and became flesh and lived among us. And by doing this, and that song that Darlene sang, we beheld his glory, that glory is the presence of God that we people could experience in a, in a new and incredible way once Jesus came upon the scene and after Jesus died and, and rose again in a way that people could not do it before. Yes, Moses is probably the, the man we know as much who came into God's presence, but he couldn't see God. We could see God because Jesus came as one of us, and that's the glory, and the glory as of a father's only son. And Jesus came, it says, full of grace and truth, and that grace is a good thing. It's the good thing. It's that good gift that God gave us that we didn't deserve. And that was to be restored to a relationship with him in spite of all the sin of mankind before going back to the Garden of Eden. That is the good news of the gospel. And it's, a, it's good news that John emphasizes over and over again in his gospel. 
Um, I've called it, and I, I think at least one or two other people sometimes call John's gospel the love gospel. Because God's loved us so much that he gave Jesus Christ his only begotten son. And Jesus came to fulfill the law, which John talks about in verse 17, that was given through Moses and came but Jesus fulfilled that and went one step further. He was the true God and in his grace brought us together with him and with the Father through his death on the cross. And because of this, in verse 18, even though no one has ever seen God, Jesus has made him known and we can know God. That's the incredible thing. That is just a brief walkthrough of what, just a little part of what this gospel passage we have, the first 18 verses of John's gospel, you know, say. And, and what I want to do, since I don't have one hour or two hours or five hours, I want to just go back to a few verses. Um, and I want to go back to verses four to, five, 4 to 5 specifically, and then maybe I'll touch a little bit on verse 9. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light shines in the, dar the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And that light has come into the world and is in the world. And we know there's great darkness in our world. As I said, the Jewish religious leaders, Jesus' own people. Jesus worshipped in these synagogues. He, he taught. He was instructed in those synagogues. They rejected him. And they, can, but they didn't just do that. They had him killed. They convinced the Romans to crucify Jesus because they didn't recognize his true identity. We also know that 10 of 12, 10 of Jesus' 12 disciples were what? Killed, right? For their faith. Only John wasn't killed for his faith, and we know that, um, you know, that Judas betrayed Jesus, and he he killed himself, so we'll ignore him. So 10 out of the 11 that stayed with, that's for Easter, or, I mean, or Good Friday and all that. Um, so I had to throw him in there because I won't be, you know, giving you any, uh, any Good Friday messages. So, um, but in spite of that, the light of Christ overcame that. It was not quenched because he died on the cross. In fact, the, his gospel flourished because he rose again and we know in the first century that the number of Christians grew and Christianity spread even though it was not a recognized religion in Rome and, and as the century went on there was increasing persecution um, you know, that went on. And we, you know, in Acts we see some of the great growth you know, one day, 3,000 people, after, uh, I believe, Peter preaches, 3,000 people were added 
uh, to their number. And we see then that the darkness did not overcome the light of Christ. And in the 20 centuries since Jesus' death and resurrection, followers of Christ have continued to be persecuted and even killed for their faith in Christ. I believe the number in, in, in 2005, um, you know, one publication said that 177,000 Christians around the world were killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But the church of Jesus Christ has grown. A Pew Research study in 2011 estimated that there were 2.2 billion Christians in the world out of the 6.9 million population. That is up from 600 million in 1910. Um, but the population has more than tripled since then. So persecution has not stopped the light of Christ from shining in the darkness. And we know there are countries around the world where people are being persecuted for their faith. China has been one of the nations that we most know where people are not allowed, have not been allowed to worship uh, Jesus Christ or actually you know, any faith openly. But China in the 20th and the 21st century is a testimony to Christ's light overcoming the darkness. In 1949, there were approximately 700,000 Christians in China. And with Chairman Mao and the communist state in control, there, were, there was not one church that was allowed to be opened until after Mao's death in 1979. And it wasn't until... Um, that, yeah, the first church opened in, in 1979 after Mao had died. And then in 1981, 80 church, official church buildings were open. And then the Chinese constitution guaranteed religious freedom. Well, these guarantees, you know, haven't, you know, f aren't fully 100% manifest. But in spite of this, from 700,000 Christians in 1949, there's somewhere between 21 and 40 million Christians in China, many of which participate in small house churches. And China, you know, is still on a top 50 list of the most, uh, you know, persecuted, uh, or the countries where persecution of Christians is most severe. I believe they're 21 on the list of this open door uh, worldwide open doors worldwide watch list want to move to another country Nigeria Nigeria the 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 country that has more anglicans than any other country in the world with 17 million anglicans and they have 70 million christians out of the 170 million population however this church is number this country is number 13 on the list because in northern Nigeria there are Islamic extremists who are persecuting Christians. And in these Sharia law states of the north there have been many attacks on churches and Christian communities in which believers were wounded or killed. And in the last year it's estimated there were a thousand Christians who died through persecution and about five million Christians are believed to be under intense pressure because of their faith in Christ. And just on Christmas Day in the north, there were two separate attacks 
where, where 12 worshipers who gathered for a Christmas Eve service were killed. And I could go you know, on and on with, with that. There are other instances of that. And then the country that's at the top of the list and probably wouldn't surprise anyone to hear this would be North Korea. And the one thing I was surprised last week when I was reading the Wall Street Journal, I believe the December 20th issue, there was a, um, an article in their editorial section about a Christmas prayer for North Korea's Christians by Melanie Kirkpatrick, who is um, an, a fellow at the Hudson Institute and has just recently written a book called Escape from North Korea, The Untold Story of Asia's Underground Railroad. And I'm just going to read a small part of it. Spare a thought on Christmas Eve for Christians who live in countries where practicing their faith is an act of courage. Nowhere is that more true than in North Korea, where religion is banned. The only permissible worship is that of the trinity of the Kim family dictators. The late eternal President Kim Il-sung, his son Kim Jong-il, who died last year, and current leader Kim Jong-un. How dangerous is it for Christians in North Korea? In a report this year, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom describes the arrest, torture, and possible execution of Christians, Buddhists, and others conducting clandestine religious activity in the North. It cites several widely reported cases of persecution of Christians, including the public execution in 2009 of Ri Hyun Ok for the crime of distributing Bibles. In keeping with the regime's policy of punishing wrongdoers' families, Ri's husband and three children were reportedly dispatched to a political prison. The commission estimates that there are thousands of Christians among the 150 to 200,000 North Koreans incarcerated in the regime's inf in infamous political prison camps. Yet, despite this repression of Christianity and religious expression, something is happening that many characterize as nothing short of a miracle. Christianity appears to be growing in North Korea. Open Doors International, which tracks persecution of Christians worldwide, puts the number of Christians in North Korea at between 200,000 and 400,000 persons. This family, the Kim, do I have it right? The Kim family, yeah, the Kim family dictatorship has been in power for 60 plus years. And yet, in spite of the repression, and, and they openly go out and get these people. They travel to China to get North Koreans who are spreading the gospel. Um, Christianity is growing there. Once again, another case where the light is overcoming the darkness. The darkness is not um, you know, suppressing Christianity. And, you know, moving closer to home, I mean, in, in this country, thankfully, um, for the most part, our lives are not threatened because of our Christian faith, but, you know, we sense and we read that we've got, you know, overall the 
society seems to be, you know, is growing more secular and more hostile. And, and I won't read many. I'll just read one of these because, you know, they don't compare. They pale in comparison to what people are suffering throughout the world for their faith. But um, in the survey of religious hostility by, a, uh, let's see, the Family Research Council, and then there's one other group, um, which I cannot remember right now, they list about 600 incidents, and one of them they say, city officials prohibited senior citizens from praying over their meals, listening to religious messages, or singing gospel songs at a senior activities center. Um, so, you know, we do face some of that, but that type of darkness, while nothing, you know, that we've, we just read about in other countries, is not going to overcome the light of Christ. And, you know, we just look around and we know, what is it, two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, you know, we had 26 adults, uh, 20 plus children and six adults killed at the school. We see darkness right in our, in our society. Um, you know, that darkness has been here since the beginning of time and it will continue to the end. And then, you know, looking, you know, at our lives, there are things, all of us, we've got, we run in to darkness. We may have, we have darkness inside of ourselves because we're human beings who are stained, you know, by sin. I do things or I think thoughts that, that I should not, that I don't want to think, but but that's, you know, the sin inside of me. I, like I'm sure many of you, I look at a situation and I, I, uh, and I look at it more than I look at the God who created me and who fills me with his life and, and, I'm, all, and I'm all lost. And, and I, see, I see tragedy. Um, you know, I, I see people, you know, we're suffering right now just in this country and we look around the world with people who do not have enough money, you know, to pay their bills, to possibly stay in their homes, to have enough food, you know, to eat. And you see, you know, the killing of, of children and, and innocent people. And, and you just, sometimes it can be overwhelming. But, brothers and sisters, don't lose hope. Because, as John's Gospel says, the darkness shall not overcome the light. It did not on the cross. It has not in the 20 centuries since, and it will not forevermore. Because we also know, and Satan knows, how this story is going to end. Christ is going to reign supreme. The light of Christ overcomes all darkness that we see in the world. Even though, even when we can't fully understand it, and it doesn't make us, you know, like what's going on, but we just cannot give up hope that the light of Christ, you know, will will reign supreme. And it is that light which God gave to us through his son Jesus Christ that's available to live in our hearts if we just believe in him. It's not going to make all the dark things go away in this world, but it gives us the ultimate victory. And it is that one hope, that one unshakable hope is our faith in Jesus Christ that cannot be taken away from us. 
and will give us all that we need to go through whatever we may face and whatever this world may you know, throw to us. So, in the midst of a world that is darkened by the stain of sin and evil, my encouragement to you and urging and to me as well, is to never lose hope in Jesus Christ because his light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome his light. Amen. Amen.